Why, hello, and welcome to Season 28, Episode 11 of Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. My name is Kimmy. I'm Stork. We did it in harmony. Yeah. See, we, we, yeah, we're professionals here. We don't have an established order. We got it down. I've never figured out, keep always forgetting to do it. Don't know why I do. (laughs) I'd like to say I was first, though. (laughs) By by just a margin, just nothing. (laughs) In this episode of Happy Jigs Average Podcast, James from New Zealand asks for some lessons learned from pandemic gaming. Uh, Joe from Cambridge writes in with a quick question, and another Kurt sends us a horror story. Nice. I'm glad that we're adding to our collection of Kurt's. Yes, we have a, yet another Kurt. Uh, it's really odd that all the Kurt's I know are from the gaming world. Like, I don't think I work with a Kurt. I don't think I've... And they're all here. I know one Kurt who isn't a, a gamer, but I think no, I know I know two. Oh, I know two, but not in this. This is back when I lived in Long Beach. Do you think one's old games? He must. Considering the John Carpenter <laughs> movies that he's done, he definitely has a pen. He has a nerd pension for sure. Right. Or nerds have a pension for him. I don't know. I hate. He chose to go do Escape from L.A. And, true. And, choice. Yeah. and Big Trouble in Little China. He he yeah. like he believed in that. He thought it was great. And that's the nerdiest of all films. Yeah, he leaned into it, too. Totally. I guess he probably wasn't available to do They Live. So, <laughs> If you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. We're about out of emails, which means the show ends. And it never comes back. So, blackmail. Is that a threat? Emotional blackmail. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. No. I thought we were going to start uh, reading Russian literature, you know. Oh, there you go. get any emails. I've always had a penchant for Chekhov. I always found him hysterical. I think people didn't understand the sarcasm. We could reenact the cherry orchard. Oh, yeah, the seagull. That's it. Do a reading of the seagull. (laughs) What was that book they made us read in ninth or tenth grade? The Good Earth. I can't well, the Brothers Karamazov was a big one, but also um, One Day in the Life Solzhenitsyn. of Ivan Denisovich. Yeah, Solzhenitsyn, A Day in the Life. That's an upbeat one. I was in I college. Read any of these things? It had to read Cancer Ward, which was his other sort of tome, or the Gulag Archipelago. Boy, do I know a lot of Russian literature? We, we Why can, is that? We can we can do this if you don't send us emails. We will. Right. This sounds so fun. Oh, please it is. Send us emails, please send us emails. Please, <laughs> please, please send us emails. I don't want to sit through any of this. <laughs> I want option it's, D. It's we working. want emails. <laughs> Happyjacks.org slash. No, fuck. Happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's yes. our email address. We also do the show live. We're doing it on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific time, 10.06 yeah. a.m. Pacific time, uh, at happyjacks.org slash live if you'd like to yeah. watch the show live. It's funny how this used to seem like an early morning time before I had a child. Oh, yeah. That, that changes quick, huh? Yeah, I'm like, wow, it's, I've been up for so many hours. I've done so many things. I've got the half the day already. Yeah. Is having a child giving you perspective on the rest of us that have struggled with children? I mean, I feel like I've always, I like, I feel like I've always understood pretty well, especially like, that's I mean, I'm, I'm Stu's kid's god's mother, and like, so it's like, I, I get that. And, being and you work with children for a living. Yeah, but I feel like it gives me, like, this whole new perspective on what it is to be terrified of things in the world. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. literally everything is terrifying now. It's just like, oh my gosh. Like, so that's It was a little, terrifying yeah. before there was a global plague. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. So having a child in the middle of a global plague, that was exciting. Um, I think also it's really interesting the effect it's had on the games I can play, um, mm. video games and tabletop games. Um, I had to do... Uh, like, I'm, I'm playing... A, I am playing a and d game right now, everyone. Yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> Wild, right? Um, so, like, my GM did uh, Lines and Veils at the beginning before we started the campaign, or doing Curse of Strahd. 
which I thought was like a one shot because that's how much I know about D and D stuff. <laughs> so the next two years of my life are going to be with this game. Yep. Um, luckily, I like the people in it a whole lot. Uh, <clears throat> but they did lines and veils, and I was doing that for the first time since I'd had a kid. And suddenly, I'm like checking the little boxes on the sheet that he set us, and I was like, "Oh wow, oh there's a lot." I oh no, no, I can't handle that. It's very strange how different it was. And he was really great about it, and he um, he rewrote a big chunk of the campaign, which I guess evidently has like creepy kids or dead kids or something yeah. in it. He's like, yeah. "Oh oh, nothing with kids. Cool, cool. I'm going to have a lot of work to do before our next session." It's like, okay, thanks. So that's been interesting, like just seeing how that's changed things, and I'm interested to see if that changes as she gets older. It no, does. You had to stop watching Law and Order SVU at some point. Oh, you know, it was yeah. like, no, I'm done. I'm done with that. And then ER, which is my favorite show, we had to stop no. watching it. Yeah. Does it also? It really does shift your priorities because suddenly everything else is inconsequential. This comes first, and you always, oh, yeah. you always, that's the core, and then everything spins out around that. Yeah. So in many ways, it streamlines your life because you know exactly what you're going to be doing all day long, and then everything else is gravy. But the, it also, in some ways, sort of complicates your life. I can't, or I don't yeah. want to, or I don't have time anymore. Luckily, I didn't have to worry about that during a pandemic, so nobody was right? doing anything anyway. <laughs> that was one plus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it has it has helped my game writing a lot because you can do game writing anytime. Like, oh, yeah. baby goes to sleep suddenly. You don't have to pre-plan it. It's like oh, no, no stream time that I have to get the baby to sleep. By. It's like oh, baby went to sleep at eleven thirty. Okay, cool. I'll write for an hour before I go to bed. So I've been very prolific in my game writing this year. Yeah, it's amazing how your writer's block goes away when you have no choice. Yeah. <laughs> this is my 32-minute window. I'm going. Exactly. Get anything on the paper. Must write. Oh, I actually, I actually, Ray Bradbury came to my college and talked about that. And that was the one thing he really said is like, as a professional writer, just sit down every day for X amount of time. And whether you stare at the blank page or something comes out, he says you need to get the discipline of sitting down in front of that, nowadays it'd be computer, and just do it. Yeah. And he's right. It's a, it's a muscle and a, and a thing. You just have to set aside a block of time every day, whether you feel like it or not, and do it. Yeah. It's been good. Yeah. And I, I would contend that two years ago, if I told you that future Kimmy would be showing up for a 10 a.m. show on a Saturday morning, you would laugh at me. <laughs> you would say, would let's laugh. do 11. Yeah, I would have said, let's do 10.30 or 11 for sure. And I definitely would have like woken up at like 9.35 and like, <laughs> quick, like be throwing on like a sweatshirt over my robe. Hey, I'm here. All right. Uh, lessons learned from pandemic gaming from James oh, in New Zealand. No preamble. But yeah. Oh, okay. No preamble. Back. I mean, that's a choice. Thank you for your le- your email uh, and future emails. Please include preamble. Send him a rejection. No, feel- a rejection email for his email. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate your contribution, dear sir or madam. Beggars can't be choosers, okay? We need emails. Yeah. <laughs> Send with or without preamble. Yeah, Allervant says he sent an email in March. I may have missed it. So yeah, if you can sh- reshoot that to me, if you can, I, I, I can go and search. But I do miss stuff because it all goes into one big fuckwit email bin, yeah, that's and then a good I have to. It, it was it, oh, it's great choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My email is my because Happy Jacks forwards to my personal email, and that's also my work email, and it's also my everything else email. You so, know they. Don't have to keep doing that. Yeah, well, the problem is, I only have one email address I have to check, and that is convenient. That is the problem. It mm, yes and no because I check it consistently, and like it, when I'm at work, I have to check because because yeah. you know I get critical communications. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah like Happy Jacks emails. But sometimes. <laughs> my question is prompted by a comment that Erica Odd made on the Discord a couple of weeks ago. She mentioned expecting to have a hard time going back to physical gaming after getting used to some of the, quote-unquote, bells and whistles of virtual tabletops. I mentioned that some people have been using virtual tabletops at in-person games for years, but I think that's probably been a small minority. Excuse me. That got me thinking since... That got me thinking since, and leads to, the fo- to my question. What digital RPG tools have you used or seen during all of the remote gaming you've done in the last year that you'd like to try using at in-person games 
going forward. While I'm at it, what other things are you going to try to try doing differently at an in-person games in the future? On the last episode, at the time of this writing, Stu said that he could use some emails, so hopefully this episode is not on the backlog until the far distant future when the pandemic is a thing of distant memory, as much as that might sound like a nice idea now. Thanks, James from New Zealand. P.S. Guys, I sent an email. It's been years, so long that you don't even make fun of Waitangi Day anymore. This may have been... This may have been James from New Zealand who, like, originally told us about oh, Waitangi yeah. Day. I think it is. I think it is. Uh, he says he's been listening since 2012, so that yeah. nine years. And James was on the forum, and he's been a long time listener, for sure. I know the name. Still love your work. Keep it up. Smiley face. And then I have We're a... We're so glad you're still here. We love you, too. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. So, w- what what newfangled cool things on virtual tabletops are you going to integrate into your in-person at-home game? Well, the one thing that that has been streamlined for me, for sure, are uh, virtual character sheets that you can constantly sort of fill out and share. And then I actually kind of like the automatic dice rollers, too, so that everybody can see what you're doing. We haven't really incorporated them into our games, but I've seen other people using them, and I'm like, that makes so much sense, because now you just click on it, everybody sees the roll, it's up in front of everybody, and it's fast, and it's quick, and it's just as random as it Well, might. how do you cheat? Yeah, well, <laughs> how do you create suspense? <laughs> right. Well, the GM doesn't use the dice roller. We do. <laughs> oh, so the GM can still cheat. <laughs> or spare you. Or spare us, right? After watching you roll, I'm going to force you to use a dice roller because you're like, oh, look at all these successes. <laughs> but technology-wise, I, I don't know that much will change for me. I have used virtual tabletops at physical tables before. Um, as visual aids or as maps. But I think the biggest thing that's going to change for me is um, I've become more deliberate about listening as a GM on a virtual platform. Um, I think that I do a lot of crosstalk as a GM. You know, I think it's fine for players, but as a GM, I tend to insert and just join, you know, the conversation rather than sit back and listen. Uh, So that's like one to get. You have to on a visual, you know, on a virtual setting, you have to be you have to hit your mute button, you know, you have to listen. And that's something that I took away with. I also, I also think I, I you know, I could go without wearing pants at tables too. That was, that was working out for me in some games. Ah, I'm still shocked from that. Where's email. my X card? Where's my, where's my X card? Um, it, you know, it, it, when it comes to crosstalk, this is a little tick in the conversation. My brother had pointed out years ago that uh, my family, but, all my friends and everybody, we all talk on top of each other. And it's become sort of a modern day thing. And just sitting back and genuinely listening, not just waiting for your turn to talk, is a skill that I think that we have all lost. And it really is exacerbated on Zoom when you can't actually talk on top of each other. And it's made us all take a step back and go, let me just sit back and listen. And then when there's, you know, when people look at me, then I will respond. And I think it's a skill. Uh, that we have lost and that we all probably, especially as a GM, need to remember to do. Um, I'm not shaming anybody. I think it's just something that I have noticed, especially because of Zoom. It's a really interesting concept and uh, you can apply it in your daily life too. When you're having a conversation with somebody, I find myself waiting to say something clever and actually listening to what they're saying. Or because all of us are fairly intelligent people, we've already finished their sentence. We already know what they're going to say or where they're going. And so that we've already formed a, and so we just jump right in before they finish. And it's rude, <laughs> but it's also um, presumptive. You know, you're like, I, you know, how did you know what I was going to say and answer to it? And it, it can really wear people down. Mm-hmm. I, that anyway. that kind of makes me feel vindicated when I was insistent about about players when we're sitting around the table wearing headphones all the time because then they can tell when they talk over each other and no one can understand what anyone's saying. <laughs> Which is why I wanted people to do that. And now everyone knows that lesson because they've had to wear headphones or earbuds for the last year every time they game. So now, victory lap. <laughs> Hopefully. I'm hoping when we get back, like everyone's not just so excited to play. They will be. That they just are like, oh, we can talk to each other constantly. So we'll see. You'll have to remind people of that. I have a feeling that it, it's going to go right back to normal. Probably. As far, as, far as all of our bad habits, at least. Well, as, as Christopher pointed out, I mean, players will crosstalk. They'll mutter to each other. They'll talk to each other. They make eye contact. They're like, or sometimes they'll have a side conversation. Like, hey, can I borrow your, you know, while the other people are doing their thing. And you can't really do that in Zoom. 
but you're not also just interacting with other people. You're not spilling soda on people. So it's it it there is going to be a lot more chatter, I think, at the table than you would have at Zoom anyway, just by the nature of people bumping into each other. Oh, look at I all think crosstalk with players is, is okay to an extent. I mean, I think that needs to happen. Actually, Agreed. feeds energy into the table. Uh, but as a GM, I realized that I was inserting myself to be clever or to add something, and I was not allowing uh, people to, to think through their problem. Or I wasn't allowing space either. So, you know, whenever there was a, a, a vacuum, I felt like I needed to fill it. Instead of just letting it sit, let people think through, mm-hmm. ask questions, and, and be okay with that. Chris, that is a genius note for all, for everybody mm-hmm. when they G- when they GM. It's just, and Stu has taken it to heart, but it's taken him years, which is let the players do their thing. And I've watched Stu, sometimes exasperated, just sit there and let the players hash something out. But it is it, to learn to just stop and let them do their thing. It's hard because you want to help or you want to, you want to, you know, guide it or you want to inject some, some clever thing that you, in your work, from your world building. But that's now is not the time. You have to wait for it. Yeah, I think um, like we were ahead the head of the curve, like having mute buttons for everybody on, <laughs> at the studio before Zoom. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think I think a certain amount of crosstalk and freedom to talk over each other, and especially in character conversations, if they're having an in character argument or something like that. I think that's something that we've really kind of lost. Um, with Zoom, um, I know there are some people who are just super great at that, and people who people were doing Zoom gaming long before, you know, we we before the pandemic. Like there were people who have complete streaming channels that all everybody does is come in and Zoom all the time. Um, but I miss that about in person gaming because you can do it in a way that even if you're really practiced at it, um, you can't do it over over virtual uh, playing and remote playing. Um, I think one of the things that I will miss the most, um, and we've kind of done it with Slack, but it's hard to do, um, is the chat and having the chat there for things. Um, a lot of times when I'm playing, people ask like a rule or something, or hey, what page is this on? Things like that in chat, that do- so it doesn't distract from like the role playing. And someone who's not actively in the scene can answer them, um, or even just like they- you can direct message each other. Like sometimes I've had people because I've been running a bunch of playtests of, of my, my game that I'm writing, like, uh, like I've had one of them direct message me an X card. So it's like nobody else knew. So I was able to steer it away from what was happening, and there was not any of the weirdness of, oh, okay, like even, even a very uh, practice group at X cards, like there's still like this moment of, oh, oh, the X card has been touched, and, you know, let's, you know, and, even if you don't ask about it or, you know, you just automatically stay away from it, there's, like, that moment that makes players a little hesitant to use it, I think, sometimes. And being able to do it completely privately with, like, nobody seeing it was a really cool, awesome thing. I mean, you just solved the X card problem for me. And I, Stu, Stu's brought it up numerous times, which is the act of using the X card telegraphs the fact that you have the problem. And people who are smarter than the average bear can now figure out what your problem is. So it's no longer private. Mm-hmm. And so by literally texting someone the X card and no one will know and the GM can just steer it away, it keeps it safer that way. That's that's the solution for me. Wow. That's a couple of times during the Call of Cthulhu game, that's how people sort of did their X card thing. Was Because yeah. I, I've, I've been doing this since prior to the, to the fucking disease, but um, I've got uh, Slack open almost all the time now when I'm GMing. Because yeah. it's just too handy yeah. to be able to give people secret information, or if someone's got a sidebar going, that can happen. <clears throat> the only thing that would be nice if I could type with my brain rather than my hands. <laughs> Someday. Yes. Someday. We're, we're pretty close to that, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, I think um, that's a good point. Having a computer at your station while running a game is something I've never done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can see the value in that now, especially if it's like a tablet or something that I can flip around and show images and things like that and having right. a text interaction or text group. Sorry, I'm doing the same thing we were just talking about not doing. <laughs> uh, um, it's super helpful for me when I'm jamming to have a, a computer there because I tend to a lot of, I'm a very improv GM. So it's like, oh, they're going there. I should probably learn a thing about that place. And or what, what kind of animal might be in this jungle that they're, you know, entering. I've done a lot of like on the fly Googling, like as I'm running games. Um, so that's, uh, that's always been helpful. Another thing I really have enjoyed about uh, virtual gaming um, as a GM, 
is watching the players' faces. Uh, I, I, I watch my players, but it's a lot of, it's very easy to kind of get like, you know, distracted when there's things at the table, there's dice rolling, you've got papers in front of you. With uh, virtual, especially like Zoom or Hangouts or whatever you're using, it's like their face. Like, you've got this. So, like, it's very interesting to start reading those micro-expressions that you usually wouldn't notice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is. And so, <laughs> no, you know, like, it's true. And the minute they get bored in a group thing, suddenly you can see them come off, <laughs> come right. off to the side, and then there's, like, this bright light as they, like, open a window on their computer <laughs> right, to look right. at something else because they're Alien bored. Attack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are really hard to stack at the palm of your hand. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, so that's kind of an interesting thing to be like that aware of. Um, so I like it, and it, that was—it's a weird thing because like you have that instinct, like Chris was talking about, of oh, okay, got to get this story moving, but you can't talk over people. And so you're trying to let them talk and not talk over them, but you want to get the story moving because of micro expressions. So it's just an interesting study, and it's a very different way of reading people. Um, I actually been doing this a ton because I'm teaching right now. Um, so your brain gets super tired. I was reading an article that was sent around to some teachers about it because your our brains are uh, trained through evolution to study bod- uh, body expressions and facial expressions and all those things. In Zoom, you have a very small sampling of that. A lot of their physical expressions, like people crossing their arms or stuff like that, you don't see. So your brain is working overtime to process the smaller amount of information that it is getting, which is like the facial expressions, uh, which is why sometimes we're more tired after a Zoom session than we are a normal, uh, a normal session. Um, but it also means that because your brain is overworking, working overtime on that, you might notice more. Uh, it may also mean that you're misinterpreting what you're seeing. <laughs> oh, they're bored. Oh, no, they're yeah, because you're, you're only seeing a small, like you're only seeing a small bit of it. Right, exactly. So it, that's been kind of an interesting thing to to do, especially when you are doing playtesting or running a system for the first time or an adventure that you've written because you're like, oh, okay, it's like this very direct, like, how happy are they? <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of an interesting thing. I don't know if I'll miss that necessarily, but I don't know. It, it, it's, it's been an interesting experience having that there. One thing, one thing I found is that I, I feel really bound to the screen um, when I'm GMing and anybody has been at my table. I'm a very physical GM, and uh, I mean yeah. I'm not like Dave Kazay level, but I'm like <laughs> you know I'm definitely standing up and moving around, and um, and I've, I've always felt very confined in this little box. And one thing that's taught me is how to how to still deliver energy inside this little box. And I, I, I was, I'm a little grateful for that. I think I can be more subdued physically and won't tire myself out when I'm running games just by constraining myself a little bit. That's the difference between film acting and theater acting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was you on your mark. <laughs> right. I am of the theater. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Dave Gazet. Dave Gazet was a revelation to me. I'd never seen anybody that interactive as a GM at all, ever. I mean, he was all over the room and in costumes and, like, down at my side. I mean, I was, like, I'm exhausted just watching him. He gets so mad when he would come do stream games at the studio. I'd be like, you can't stand up. The camera doesn't see you. Like, it'll be from, like, your neck to your belly button. That's what we'll see. Yep. That's that's film acting right there. Yeah, he's like, like, well, just point it. Point it up. Well, there's a giant air duct behind you, and the logo won't be there. Yes. (laughs) Here, look. I can see. I feel like crap right there. There you go. It's not the background we want there. Um, I think the other cool thing, someone already mentioned character sheets, but... um, Using like I don't know much about D and D's, and I'm playing D and D right now. I'm playing D and D using D and D Beyond. Um, they just have like this next level character sheet that's wild. Like I am able to play D and D, and I don't know any of the rules because I can like click on a thing and it explains it and exactly what to roll. And it even has a little button that's like hit this button to roll, and you're like, oh, damn it, click. That's so roll cool. the damn it. Yeah, it's fantastic. D&D Beyond. I love it. <laughs> it I w- makes a system that for me was overblown and like like I'm not into like the tactical minis type game and that's basically like that's what D&D is it's cosplaying as a role playing game but it's it's a <laughs> it's a miniature tactical game um, but it just made it very accessible for me and I'm having a really great time playing because I don't have to sit there and worry about all those little rules I can worry about my character 
So uh, that's as, been a, as a DM, it's huge uh, yeah. to have D and D Beyond as well because of the same reason. You can just yeah. kind of click through things, and you don't have to know the rules. <laughs> it just tells you. Oh, does it have Jackson on the on the line and have him do that with GURPS, please? Because then everybody will be playing GURPS and nobody will complain about having to worry about the rules. (laughs) (laughs) Does does it D and D Beyond have all the monsters and all that stuff and gives you everything? That's expensive. That's not cheap, though, is it? Yeah, it's expensive. Well, my account is free. The GM account like costs, and but the thing is, the GM can buy like the adventure books or whatever they call them because yeah. I don't know anything about D&D adventure and, um, yeah and then you have access to that as a player if they add you to their game right oh. and you can have yeah. a lot of people in your campaign I, I've shared mine with like 20 people yeah uh, and but it's 30 bucks so you, you you buy the adventure if you want the hardcover you buy the adventure if you want D&D Beyond for uh, access to it uh, at the fingertips and then it's like you have to buy it on roll 20 if you want the virtual tabletop and so for one adventure, you're buying three times. Oh, that's awful. And um, during the height of my running games uh, about a couple of years ago, um, I was I, I'm so invested in D&D, it's ridiculous. I don't know how much money I've spent on wow. all of these platforms. You probably don't want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> and I'm not even playing D&D now, so I'm like, what was it all for? <laughs> right. What's it all mean? But 30 bucks, that's cheaper than one of the D&D books, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I would get, if I were buying into D&D, I wouldn't get the books. I would just get D&D Beyond. That's all mm-hmm. you need. No, is it 30 bucks period or 30 bucks a month? Period. Oh, it yeah. is. Oh, okay. I thought it was a, an is free. You just yeah. buy the stuff and it's and all there. There is a subscription for GMs that, that give you, you know, that allow you to build campaigns and bring people into them, and, and it's like ten dollars a month. I don't know. It's it's enough that I haven't even clocked it. But um, but the the games. I mean, yeah, they're they're and I thirty is on the adventure. That's on the low end. I think that the core books are more. I don't know. They're probably exactly what the real books are. I don't really know. I love that. Probably. I'm incorporating that into my games now. This to bring us back to our email. Email? Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know, I, one other thing I was going to say is I have the opposite problem that Kimmy does, which is I don't, I'm not very uh, good at improv because I don't trust myself yet. So I have to have the computer in front of me so I can call up all the maps and all of the little th- th- things and all of the monsters that I have planned for that area so that I have it all ready there so I feel comfortable. So mm-hmm. I need it for the opposite reason. I don't need to look stuff up. I need to go find the stuff that I already have planned. That's funny because I'm so much better with my notes in person. Like all my notes for games are written in a little notebook. Yeah. I don't know why. I've tried like all the digital tools. Like people have sent in so many great suggestions over the years, um, and I've tried them all. And they, like Google Docs, kind of. I think just because I use Google Docs so much for work, so I'm comfortable with it. But even that, like, like just a written notebook with like, hey, these are the rules you always forget. This is how they work. And here's the bad guys you made for this. And here's some extra things just to skin is whatever you need. Uh, it took me a way. while to figure out what my problem was with uh, PDFs and virtual files and all that. And that's part of the thing is that my brain also organizes things in space. So like if I have a notebook, I know that it's about three quarters of the way down. <clears throat> I remember that was the area that I wrote yes. down. Yeah. And, and when it's a just page after page, I forget what page it was on. But I know when I look at a notebook, it was I, I know I put it roughly here. So I don't have that visual depth of the mm-hmm. notebook to look at or the files, and it's it is a it's a little harder for me to work that's it out that way. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent. That's a I never thought of it, but that's a perfect like example of why I feel more comfortable with a notebook. There, fascinating. I use index cards. I must buy three packs a week. I, I use so many index cards. They just help me think, and then I could throw them away when I'm done. You know, and <laughs> um, I, even on the virtual, I still use them. I don't use virtual notes at all. I, but I get my index cards all mixed up, or I knock them over, or they're all out of order, and I can't. I've tried it, and I even tried flashcards as a kid. You know, everybody says, "Oh, use index cards for notes." Never worked for me. I tried it a dozen times, and it never worked for me. So, I think I'm just not a flashcard kid. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Super looking forward to gaming in person again. Yes, me too. Hopefully, uh, Happy Jacks. We're hopefully going to start a couple in-person games over the summer too. So sometime in June, July-ish, um, and then hopefully everybody by like August or fall. So it's exciting. Yeah, yeah it's new. You've uh, you've had a lot of free time. What have you done in your free time? I'm moving on to the next email. So, yeah. Oh well, we should Same read. The, yeah, we should read. Stark, read the next email. <laughs> My folks, I'm behind on listening to the show and finally have some time to catch up. 
Stu mentioned he's got at least one, if not more, books he's written up in these COVID times on the Kindle. And I'd love to know where the titles are uh, or what they, what they are under. I have my wife checked for Stu's full name isn't up on the show's website, so I can't do an author search. If you could let me know the titles, that would be great. So I could grab them from my Kindle, Joe Teller, Cambridge MA. And Stu, I have to say, I, uh, I, I was on set the other day, so I actually downloaded your other two because I had the first one. I oh, you the did? First one and downloaded the other two. And I also had trouble finding the name under your name. I even typed in Venable, and they didn't pop up. So you put in Stu Venable, they, they come up, I think. Kindle people, yeah. Well, that's, I'm not that, you know... Well, yes, but when you search for Stu Venable under Amazon or under Kindle, your name should pop up. But I, I too, had fi- trouble finding it. And then I didn't know how to spell Mandite. No one does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just checking, because I'm, I'm, I'm typing my name in Amazon right I now. I tried under Venable first, and then I had to go Stu Venable. But I didn't well, know if it was Stuart the Venable. Prob- okay, now it's like not so anyway. doing anything. Oh, there it goes. Yeah, they come right up. You put in Stu Venable, they come right up. Um, my last name is Venable, V-E-N-A-B-L-E, Venable. Uh, the the books are, uh, the first book is uh, Mandite and the Apprentice Mage, M-A-N-D-E-I-G-H-T, so Mand 8, but it's the German pronunciation. So it's Mandite. Uh, and it's uh, Mandite and the Apprentice Mage, uh, Mandite and... Mandite the patented mage and the third one is called Mandite and the Collegium Magicum and I'm still writing the fourth one I, I, I keep restarting it it's going to probably it's probably going to be longer than the three and it probably is going to conclude the story um, but I so yeah I, I'm a little curious and, and this sort of ties in with gaming it's like I know when I first started <clears throat> gaming uh, I was into comic books and I was into writing and I think all of us at one point have attempted writing some stories and some and some stuff I think a lot of us as GM, uh, as GMs and players fancy ourselves as storytellers or even authors. What finally crystallized in your brain to, to attempt to do this? Because it is, it seems, I don't know, intimidating or what, I don't know, what's the other word I'm looking for? Just, uh, it just seems sort of, um, okay. like, like, I don't, yeah, like, and I don't know where, you know, I wouldn't know where to start. Is it, will anybody care? What's it all mean? Um, so what, what is I it considered finally gave you the courage to do it? I considered it daunting until I got the page count for the background information I was writing for Blood, Blade, and Tusk, which is the sort of medieval Europe or mm-hmm. Spanish Inquisition meets orcs. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and I realized, awesome holy shit, that I, I wrote like, you know, in a word processor, almost 300 pages. Wow. And I'm like, I can write a novel. <laughs> Because that's easier, probably. Yeah, that's pro- that's got that's probably what a five hundred page book, you know, like yeah. a small like a trade paperback or something. <clears throat> so, I mean, once I realized that I've easily exceeded the word count of a novel, it's like, oh, pfft. the big problem is 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 figuring out how to organize the story before that. To me, that to me was the epiphany. Because I've tried writing novels, fuck, probably a dozen, two dozen times before then. All the way going back to college, I wrote a, about a two hundred page novel in college. And, and I don't think you're special. I think all of us have attempted writing novels at one point. Yeah, I know I did. But 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 have but having the knowing exactly where the story's going to go. Not right. Don't I, I would say don't approach a novel the way you would approach GMing, which is okay. Here, well, here's kind of some interesting things, and let's just see where it goes. That's no, not a good way. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great way to write about a third of a novel. Unless you really... <laughs> I think that's George R. R. Martin, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm not you... joking. Like, I think that's how he writes yeah. his books. It could be. Unless you, unless you really enjoy editing and cutting a lot of things apart and moving stuff around, then yeah, that's probably not the right way to go. No. So are you, saying, are you saying outline? I, that's what I do, yeah. Well, my, my wife's now on her oh, sixth book. <laughs> I, don't, I kind of lost track. Mm-hmm. But she does that. She what she does. She can't outline. Um, and what she does is uh, she calls them beacons or lighthouses, where you have like five moments that you need to get to at some point, or three moments. Okay. And the rest is like whatever happens, happens. And um, and she even in that method inevitably has to rewrite the book at least twice. 
Right. And this is just part of our process. So I think it depends on your brain. I mean, I think some people can outline, some people can't. There's in the writing community. There's sort of a there's terms for that, and I think I can't remember what they're called. I think they're called pantsers because you write by the seat yeah. of your pants. And right. I forget what the other one is. That's but, exactly um, what it is. Yeah. I, ironically, so, uh, yeah. when I'm done with the book, it doesn't look anything like the outline. <laughs> <laughs> but if I don't yeah. have the outline, it's like okay, here's where I'm going, and then you. About, but the, I mean, on the first one, about three quarters of the way through, I'm like. Oh, I think I just came up with a better ending. And then now did you did Stork, did you read the first one? Yeah. Did you find the character as unlikable as most people have? <laughs> uh, well, here's the thing. Because I'd already played the game, mm-hmm. I kind of knew what he was like. And and so I already know like right. what your magic items are and stuff too. So none of that was a shock to me. Right. Um But I'm just talking about him as a person as a human being. Because yeah, I've had a lot of people like, God, he's just a raging asshole. Well, he's kind of a dick, you know? He's yeah. got an apprentice who ignores and mistreats, yeah. yeah the, and, and, you know, <laughs> but I'm assuming that's part of his character arc, because he's a commercially old man. It is. And I'm assuming that you're going to bring him around to being a fatherly figure. But, I think and, I took, and, you know, and he's at a rough life. I think I t- took it too far, though. Because well, everyone's like, there have been people who's like, I don't want to read the second one, because I don't want to see what horrible things he says and thinks about other people. <laughs> <laughs> But I also know you, and it's like, oh, that's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Well, but I think I think I was because uh, when I read it, I enjoyed it, but I think I had that nostalgia and like that. Oh, he was part of our campaign, and like that link, and like so. I think I was a little bit more forgiving of that. Um, right. But well, like, yeah, <laughs> like it, it, he finds he finds an item, and 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 I and I immediately knew what that item was, you know, and then he puts it in his cottage, and I'm like. This was in our game, <laughs> so I didn't get the surprise that people who hadn't played the game would know. But I, uh, yeah, but I, I figured like you were doing that on purpose, just because he starts yeah. out as a commercially old hermit who then has to become a father figure. But I haven't read the other two yet to see if you make him nicer. He does mellow. He, he mellows as the other two books happen. Okay, good. and and the, the whole thing about it is this is like his backstory, like the guy yes. you met. Was probably a decade later, right? So this is him. Like in the first book, he didn't really. He's not a very good mage because he's a he's a he's a wizard, but he's a, kind of a crappy one. He got kicked out of school and he's kind of had to learn shit on his own. He's and been he's living on an island away from people. So and he, yeah, he's a hermit, and he and he and he's not really good at what he's what he's supposed to be really good at. So that's kind of how it starts out, and he kind of stays that way. <laughs> He's so never super book. Are you still struggling with with outlining or how to how to structure it? Yes. Um, well, it's gonna it's probably gonna be larger in scope, and in in the other three books, there's been about a year gap between the end of the first book and start of the second book, etc. So I want to have that, and I want some significant life changes to have already happened to them. I'd rather them just happen rather than show them happening because it's not necessarily interesting. Um. And I kind of know where the story's going to go, but I'm not I don't have a real firm idea yet, and I think that's what I really need is that firm ending that I can promptly ignore once I continue writing. Once I get like halfway or three quarters of the way through it. But I'm yeah. not to that point. And I've I've started started it and stopped it and like stopped it and deleted everything. That's extreme. four times. Well it's like it's it's like I realized I started at a spot and and I start writing and it's like Oh, it's going to take forever to get to anything interesting. You can't even rescue paragraphs or anything. It's like no, I, no. I, I mean, I, the last time I deleted it and restarted, I deleted four chapters. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like no, nah, this is I, I, this I, it's go. pretty common for me. Yeah. I end up doing that quite a bit because if you if, if you know you can try to rescue the prior words, but they don't apply anymore. You can spend more work trying to make it apply yeah. than the you know. It's just just trash. But, I mean, I tell you, Kathleen Cobb, she this is how she does it. She she will delete entire books. I've seen her delete 20,000 words and start over because it just did not end I, up in the right spot. I don't know if I've deleted that much. <laughs> you know, she's, but that's how she works. You know, she has to work through it that way. And that's um, like why writing books is scary. <laughs> right. I've, I've had to, like in my job, I've had to paint out entire things and start again. But that's usually a last ditch effort. I'm usually, I'm like, can I rescue it? Can I paint out part of it and fix it? Or, you know, like if I'm doing an illustration, can I just light out their legs and redo them, you know, instead of redrawing the whole thing? Because, you know, it just seems like a waste and it's a lot of work to start all over again. But I guess, you know, maybe that's part of the thing about being a writer and a perfectionist is it's like, it's easier for me to just do this all over again than it is to try to make this imperfect piece of crap better. I am not a perfectionist. (laughs) 
<laughs> I you're can say making that. money on books. That counts. What? You're not? Perfectionist. I'm not a perfectionist. Oh, perfectionist. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> Shocked. <laughs> One of the adages I've been using at work recently, and it, I mean, something I have to remember, which is, don't let better be the enemy of good. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Great. Because sometimes you you drive yourself crazy trying to get for, for, for perfection. You're constantly like, there's a guy at work who's got a lot of OCD, and he gets he's constantly sighing. And I'm like, I'm I'm we're going to constantly disappoint you, Ethan. I'm sorry. You're just it's he's in a constant state of disappointment because it's never as good as he wants it. And so it's like, don't let better be the enemy of good. This is good. What we have right now, this is really good. Don't try to make it better because you're just going to fuck it up. I'm more like sometimes don't let that. don't let better be. The enemy of just good enough. Well, that's <laughs> my <laughs> it's Sometimes, because we weren't under crushing deadlines, just good enough is what they're going to get. Right. Because <laughs> that's what we had time for. Right. So, anyway, thank you for asking about the books. That, that That's what they are. And uh, Stu Venable on Amazon clicked right to them. All three of them right there. I want to know why, uh, why Joe's wife had to look it up, though. I don't know. Do you though? Don't let's not go. Let's not go there. If they like the dulcet tones, the tones of your voice, can they also get like the audiobook version? The odd, well, <laughs> I, I have at this point given up trying to get the audiobook version on Audible because the amount of I'm not going to re-record it because I've already recorded the first book. It is available for free as an, as a podcast, uh, Mandite and the Apprentice Mage. And it's on Amazon or uh, Apple Podcasts and all the other places. Uh, or you just go to stewvenable.com and that's the link to everything for all of it. The, um, but yeah, you can, you can listen to it for free as a podcast. And I think it'll even show up in the right order. I think I got the order incorrectly. Mm-hmm. So you can listen to it. And it's... Because um, that would suck to download the thing and realize... <laughs> and listen to the last chapter first. first. <laughs> Well, that was a weird, in, weird intro. <laughs> Talk about starting in Meteor A. Okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know when the fourth one will come out. I have to, like, you know, be happy with what I've written. <laughs> and I'm not there yet. It'll happen, so, though. Cause I, I, I mean, I, uh, do you know about National Novel Writing Month? That's in November? Yeah. Yes. And sometimes that's the only time I can do my writing because I have committed to writing 1,667 words a day. Mm-hmm. And um, and that means, you know, 500 in the morning and like a handful at night or whatever, however you split it up. And you have to write that no matter if it's garbage, um, if it's brilliant, whatever it is, you have to write that many words a day. And um, the, the reason it works for me is because uh, I don't self-edit when I'm in National Novel Writing Month. I just want, I'm just looking at word count and only word count. Mm-hmm. So if you're hitting a, a, an obstacle, maybe try that mindset. I can try that. I mean, I, 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 I know some of what needs to happen. It's just I have to find the right spot in the timeline to begin the story is what's mm-hmm. happening. Yeah, and I've tried like three different spots and none of it's worked. So the, the next, the next is, is to fast forward even more and like... Hello, I'm hanging from a cliff, or you know, yeah, whatever. Right. <laughs> right. That's that's my next attempt. Is like write yourself into a corner and then try to write yourself out. And there it is. Or just yeah, just, just start it at a, at, a, at a high point rather than and and then, and then write backwards all and then the, forwards. All the catch up stuff, like what's happened in the previous year, I can kind of get to slowly. I guess I don't know. Yeah. I'll figure it Mr. out. That, that goes back to what I said when we started the podcast about Ray Bradbury's advice, which is just sit down and write something every day. Just whether it's garbage or not, just you have to do it. And I think that was his point, was like, if you if you say to yourself, I need to write 1,500 words a day, whether it's garbage or not, I'm doing it anyway, because something see, will come out of it. See, like, when I wrote the, the, the first one, I wrote the, the first draft was done in like a week and a half. And I think that's probably true for the first three. But I had a real clear idea where it was going to end up and how to get there. <clears throat> and, and and this one, I I know where it's going to end up, but I'm not sure how to get get it to that point. It may have to. I, it may be that I'm trying to put too much in the fourth one. It may it may need mm-hmm. to be two more books. I don't. Know. My problem with gaming, I do the same thing. Try to cram too much into one. Game. Yeah, yeah. And just explore yeah, the story and start something else completely. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what? It's not going to end up there. We're going to do something else entirely. <laughs> right. All right. Okay. What's the next one. Thank you, Joe 
in Cambridge, Massachusetts. For Hopefully the rest of you found writing interesting as I did. <laughs> Horror and hosting from yet another Kurt. Who would like to read this? It's long. We should probably split it up. Yeah, oh, I can start. I don't mind starting. Hello, hello, happy jackers. Once again, Captain Cabbage Smelly Pants, Esquire the Third here. Charge 347 on Discord. And another goddamn Kurt in real life. <laughs> I've got a tale of shitty DM behavior and a horror story for you today, both perpetuated by yours truly before I grew the F up. Some. Uh, it was in the, the late 20 aughts, sometime before the fourth edition DD was a thing. Right in the boom of 3.5 and all of its crunchy goodness, and I was addicted to all the player options that the complete series offered from a plethora of new races, classes, and items, both mundane and magical. The only problem is, at 25 to 30 bucks a pop, the cost stacked up fast. Add to that dice addiction, plus my group's capacity for massacre boxes of soda, like a dritz clone blade dancing through a hallway of crowded with orcs, I got broke real quick. So, the manipulative asshole came out, came out to play. Look, I'm the one that bought all the books, and you guys are using for free, mind you. And you all get to come over to my house and hang out whenever you want to use them, all the all the time, mind you. Plus, I give you all a set of bland ass white opaque dice <laughs> as a welcome to the group gift for free, mind you. And you all drink my coke, damn it! You know I need caffeine. You get the picture. Not a generous host. They were unhappy, but they paid. And then they turned the guilt back on me and made me realize how much of a shithead I was being. Oh, I still kept the money and still bought more books, but I promised to never extort them for cash again. And while that is a promise that I have soundly kept, I just wish that I had been able to resist buying it for e. <laughs> yeah, Chris, Chris, you were in the beginning of the you were talking about this as well, right? And how yeah. you fell down the, the rabbit hole hard. So this must be a. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I think I got my money's worth. I mean, when you think about what you spend money on, hours and hours of entertainment, so I'm not too worried about it. But I, if I another like, edition came out, I'd be like, no. No! <laughs> I just like reading I'll pass. <laughs> I still have, horror story. I still, I, have, have a, I still have fourth edition D&D books, like, leveling bookshelves and stuff, like, tucked yeah, underneath I got shit. a whole drawer full of them. Um, I got rid of almost all of them, except for, like, one or two. I see, but I can't, I don't like to throw any of that stuff away. I, not only did I pay the money, but I also think at some point I might find it useful, if nothing else, just for inspiration. Maybe. Sometimes, you know, you read the plan, the book of the planes, you go, oh, that's really cool. And it's, even though I'm not going to do a D&D planes book, the thought of other planes might lead to something else. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, for my horror story, I have a tale I like to call Quit Trying to Split the Party and Stay in the Damn Group, subtitle. How I blue-diced my party out of a boss. Blue-diced? Is that a term I know? I don't think that's a term I know. Anybody? Anybody? I'm assuming it's derivative of blue balls. That's what I'm thinking, too. Yes. Oh, that yeah. makes sense. Okay. Blue-diced my party out of a boss. <clears throat> that's got to be what it is. It was a one-shot night. Uh, it was a one-shot night, and the setting was a town in need of adventurers to help stem the tide of a group of hobgoblin raiders. The town mayor, a muscled brick of a man that I that give Gaston a run for his money, with a morality that give Captain America a lecture on integrity. To be fair, this wasn't as dumb as it sounds, since I was aiming for an NPC so likable that he'd be instantly hateable, and I succeeded in droves. <laughs> Anybody else want to read? I'll start. Yeah. Now, most of my group uh, had had their characters lined up in a row. Had some had motivations, some had connections. One person, though, he wanted to play an emo goth kid sorcerer. This is not a description of his character's stereotype. This is this was the literal description of his character that he gave me, which was fine until it became apparent that he had no intention of taking in part in any of the group's activities, sitting on a stump, writing poetry in his jam journal, his words, not mine. <clears throat> Do you want to buy anything from the shop owner? I'd ask. Possessions are immaterial in the end, he responds. <laughs> Do you want any healing potions? You can get one for free from the shopkeep for promising to help the town, I'd offer. All of existence is pain, he retorted. <laughs> oh, this is. A, I think this is an awesome character. <laughs> yeah, I think he might be in the wrong game. But yeah, right. Awesome character. <laughs> uh, now I know he's he's taking the piss. Uh, but I wasn't invested 
and this being a super serious game either, especially after combat started and one of the Hobgoblin Raiders was de-pantsed to death. I don't know what that means. Um, I honestly don't remember how it happened. I just remember that it happened. The real, quote-unquote, fun started when I introduced the biggest, meanest, nastiest bugbear boss to the mix. This was immediately tackled by, by my totally not an overpowered self-insertion NPC, <laughs> the mayor, who put him through the wall of a nearby house. Oh, so the, the party gets to watch the GM's P- NPC's fight. The GMPC? Right. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Causing the front of the uh, collapse, separating the party from the boss, and leaving them with peons to contend with. Now everyone else was fine with taking care of the minions first, but the sharpie-nailed poet laureate... <laughs> Was you having, know what? This dude should be writing books because I'm really liking his conversational style and really sharpie right. nailed poet laureate. Poet laureate. <laughs> At the, was having none of it. At the beginning of the game, I did make it clear to my group that one of my house rules was do not split the party in combat, which may sound unreasonable. I would agree, um, but I was not going to try to run two separate combats at the same time, especially how Munchkin-esque my group built their characters and how hard it was to stay on top of the sheer carnage that they could do in a single round. You know, I get that, because D&D is hard with one combat, as we've all found out. Oh, yeah. And then if you've got two of them to deal with, yeesh. There was a moment, and I was running a D&D game at a con, and someone was splitting the party, and it was right during a very complicated combat situation. And I was uh, splitting the party was going to cause another combat situation, and I literally begged her to not. I said, "Can you please?" Just, I'm begging. Just can we just can we just act like you didn't say that? Is there a way we can just not? Couldn't and, could, and she said, "Okay," and that was nice. Couldn't but, you yeah, just run it at all as the same combat? Yeah, they were going to start a whole other combat with a whole other setting, a uh, whole other situation. Oh, wow. So um, I begged her not to do that. But geographically, it couldn't have been too far away. Well, it was going to be on the top of the... It was actually Strahd. It was going to be on the top of the keep. Well, there's other combat was happening at the bottom. So it's going to create, like, two theaters, basically. Right. Okay. And I I begged. It it wasn't my finest moment as a DM, but I get it. After our... The Crow clone Rebel Without a Clue... Um, my description, not his, decided to run around the back of the house so that he could get first dibs on the sweet XP from this um, bugbear boss. He was rather annoyed when I told him that there was no back door for him to get into. This is a dirt poor farming village. Who the hell has enough money for two doors? <laughs> Good point. Uh, the cost of metal hinges alone probably could feed the the guy's family for a week. He accepted begrudgingly. To which, he, to which he countered, any windows? I was willing to give him one, but with a catch. There was only one window, but it was on the second floor, and thus and thus comedy ensued. Would someone else like to continue? <laughs> sure, I'll do it. Uh, and then you can finish this off. I'll just read like a couple paragraphs, and then you can edit, Chris. First, climb check. Failed. Second, climb check. Failed somehow works. <laughs> which got him stuck hanging upside down by a leather pant leg caught in the window shutter. This was, uh, this is when I decided out of annoying spite to have my Titanic battle of the ages reemerge from through the back wall of the house, pretty much, uh, uh, pretty much the same way as they went in, except this time our poor magic boy was in the way. Thus he took bludgeoning and piercing damage from the shrapnel. Since I am petty, pretty Dick, don't split the combat party. Now, by this time, the main group had finished off the first wave of invaders. Notice how I put an emphasis on first. The rest of the night was a flurry of quick skirmishes with small groups of goblinoids, uh, including m- multiple lesser but still formidable bugbear lieutenants, with a subplot of the little emo kid getting his ass beat by the collateral damage being dealt to the town by the titanic boss fight they were that, uh, that they were chasing all leading up to the culmination at the center of the town square where the group rushed uh, into the scene of one of the army's champions holding uh, this severed head of the other. Go ahead, Chris. 
let me tell you, when they realized that the player character NPC had not only ganked the boss fight, but had done it off-screen, oh man, that was a sight to see. They were understandably upset, and the brow the brow breeding that uh, from them that uh, was one that I will remember for the rest of my gaming days. <laughs> yeah, keep in mind the entire time I was cackling like an ass. <laughs> this is like old stew. <laughs> but the message did not get through my thick skull. It's no fun to have to get your target ganked, especially one that can give you an overpower, overpowered player NPCs run for their money. This is when I got my idea for monster mutilation. I had uh, had I let the party on a uh, uh, take on a badly wounded boss that had just taken down my shameless self stand in, the sense of self accomplishment would have been exquisite. The story is also where I got the rule that I can never seem to follow no matter how hard I try. <laughs> NPC should be as is, if not more flawed than the players. It's a damn shame. I can't uh, ever seem to remember to keep that in mind when I write up my NPCs. If I could have done it all over again, I would have had the bugbear bug boss. That's kind of hard to say. Bugbear boss. It is. Standing over the fallen mare and... Toward the end of the fight, I would have had the mayor get up and put the bugbear into a full Nelson so that the party could finally finish it off. And after all was said and done, the mayor would have given all of the credit to the party, stating, it doesn't matter how badly I had weakened it at first. If they hadn't shown up, we'd all be dead. We all owe them our lives. But lessons learned and all that. Maybe next time I'll write in and give you a big long list of the most interesting magical items I've ever made for games and the thought process that I put into creation of each. Till next time. Till next time, Jackers. Oh, I want to. I want to see what his rules are for monster mutilation. That uh, seems like an interesting uh, concept, which mm-hmm. I I like because it would give your players a chance to take down a boss maybe that's above their skill set at the time. You know, if he's already maybe partially wounded. Um, yeah. Especially since you've set it up that they have to combat him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, though, like the this is definitely a horror story, and I'm really glad that you've grown past these days and realize. <laughs> What a dick move all of this was. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, man. And I've been in games where the GM, it's some, at a con, actually, where the GM inserted his overpowered NPC. That, GMPC? Yeah. And and the, they dropped them in because we were struggling. Or, yeah. And or they wanted to play and show off. And it's, it's I think, something some people do and don't realize that it kind of sucks and it's kind of stupid. I think a lot of people just, you know, I want to play too! And it for all the reasons that he's pointed out and more, it's not really ever a good idea. I think it's, a, like, it cons, like, I think it's, it comes from GMs who make a plan and can't deviate from it, because they need to, like, especially when you have that four-hour time limit or, limit or whatever you have at whatever con it is, like, they need to move the story along. So this, sometimes I've seen people drop in GMPCs in for that reason, which I still hate, but at least I feel like it's not a you know, malicious intent there. It's like, oh, I need to. You need to get to the end of the story before our time is up. It's still annoying, but and I think there's much better ways to do that. But yeah, it's especially when it's in like, I don't know, campaigns and stuff, and it's like taking the kill away from everybody else. Like, yeah, yeah. it's like I can sort of understand like if you have this rule, which I don't like that rule, but like if you're gonna like, okay, I'm gonna punish this one person or make. Make, like tie them up so like I don't end up doing two combats at the same time. Like, oh, he gets trapped, and then I'll handle this other combat, and then oh, we come back to him maybe as just like a time management and GM attention management strategy. Still kind of a dick move. But then to like, yeah, have your guy be like the hero and like kill the boss off screen. Mm, yeah. Especially That's in D&D bad. where kills equal XP. So you've yeah. literally dangled this great giant XP and magical item trap in front of them. So that was a honey trap, a thirst trap. You're like, ooh, look, 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 oh, take it away from you. Yeah. And so none of these guys got any of the XP that they were hopefully getting. Because that's a mechanical part of the game. So you have to kill things yeah. to get things. You don't just get it. Yeah. So that is twice as douchey move. Right. Well, and it, it very rarely do you meet the boss the same session that you start so they've probably been working up to this for a couple sessions at least. Right, man. I don't and even want to think about that. Oh, <laughs> right? 
Damn. Okay. No, I had I, a, I could see a big fight between two OP NPCs happening as like background setting. Right. You know, yeah. With another conflict happening that's more important to the players here. And then occasionally, like in a Deadpool comic, you know, the walls collapse because something's going on behind them and they're like, oh, okay, anyway, let's get back to this thing that we actually care about. Yeah. And I could see it being done that way. And at first, I thought that's kind of what he was doing because he set up this sort of comically horrible mayor. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, that's definitely not the way he drove it. Yeah, or if it, that was their problem, like like if there was a bunch of like collateral damage happening because of this major fight and people were in danger and they had to stop this fight, like okay, that would have been kind of interesting. Like you don't yeah. want to kill this hero of the town, but you've got to stop him from wrecking things and also stop this bugbear boss. It is very fun to say. Um, <laughs> like I don't know, I can see a lot of ways that this could have been turned. But yeah, no, he was he was just trying to be a dick, and I'm glad he owns that now. Yeah. yeah. You know, the closest, uh, in recent times, the closest I came to, because I did something very much like this a long time ago in like the late 80s, early 90s. But um, in recent times, the closest I came to this was what I guess probably would have been a TPK, and it was at a game convention. It was one of the early playtests of Moment of Truth, and it was Blood, Blade, and Tusk. And I was playtesting magic rules at the at that game, and the magic magic in that system the reason I, and the reason I haven't released it because the magic is just oh, ridiculously overpowered but someone cast like a firestorm or something which is like an area effect massive amount of damage thing and it they hit and they seriously injured all the orcs that were attacking the party but they also seriously injured everyone in the party and maybe like almost killed a couple people and uh, but there were still a few who were conscious, but they were not capable of doing anything anymore. And I literally had the cavalry ride in, like the the town near where this fight happened. Like the guards on the wall said, "Hey, there's some people fighting out there. We should go send someone out there and break it up." And then you know, here come a bunch of horsemen. And but it was more it was more of a trying to stop. It, it would have been a TPK otherwise. Mm-hmm. And it was and it and it was right at the end of the session and. But it was, at that point, I'm like, do I, I don't want it to be a TPK because I don't like TPKs. So it just like they just, I, as the last person's losing consciousness, they hear like a you know a horse riding up, and uh, you know orcs being stuck with spears yeah. and shit. Well, that's not stealing victory though. That's like you know, it's no resolving no, a TPK no. without killing them. Right. right. <laughs> and for a con, I can see that. I mean, you're basically yeah. trying to impress a bunch of strangers, and you don't want them leaving going, "What a fucking dick." <laughs> <laughs> All right. There was one other thing that okay, popped in my head as Kimmy was talking about uh, overpowered NPCs, and, and I have this problem too, which is they get included in your world building, so you end up spending a lot of time, you know, working on the town, and then the wizard of the town, and then the wizard of the town has a backstory, and then he has spell set, and then he has items, and the next thing you know, you've got a really overpowered NPC that you've really attached to because you just it just fell in with the whole town and world that you were building, and and you don't realize you've done it. And well, they, now all of a sudden you've got yourself a really powerful NPC that you like. Well, the the, be, the best thing to do with that is kill him before the game starts. Yeah, before the game starts. I was going to say the best thing to do with that is write a series of books called the Manda. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> What's it? The the um, I don't think he was that big. He was not a huge. NPC we went to his was tower he? a lot, huh? You, we went to his tower a lot, like. Well, that he... you ended up killing him because we used him as a touchstone all the time. And as no, sort of see, you're thinking of you're thinking of his brother, Birdstaff. No, oh, we, yeah. we did. There some, were two Birdstaffs. Like, There's yeah. Xavier Birdstaff, who was the guy you guys used to go to all That's the time right. yeah. for advice. Yeah. He was basically the guy with the exclamation point over his head. Yes. yes. <laughs> and then and then at some point, he, I, he got captured, and I think that's when you ended up meeting his, his like, black sheep younger brother. Yeah. Who lived out in the... he captured Birdstaff, like, the original Birdstaff, because we were going to him all the time. He's like, oh, you can't go to him anymore. Here's his brother. Like, oh, his brother's brother. a necromancer. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Oh yeah, it I guess it is spoilers in the book. We didn't, we didn't record that game, so there's no right, no spoilers for that. All right. Well, thank you, Kurt, for the horror story. 
And it, it really, that's a GM confession, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. horror story. It's a twofer. Yeah, it is. We appreciate it. Some some of those are the best horror stories. Is when the yeah. says, "Look at the shit I did." <laughs> As a fourteen-year-old boy, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to write yeah. in about my uh, my rifts uh, years <laughs> oh, in the nineties. Yeah. Those are the best rift yeah. horror stories. Are the best. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I'm going to go ahead and close it down. Where's my Stu? You can go first. <laughs> After you guys get get, get your order. In. Yeah. Is it this one? No, it's not that one. It's this one. Thank you for joining us for season 28, episode 11 of Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. My name is Kimmy. We're waiting, we're waiting. No, no, you did my first last time. You do. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Storm. And and we'll see you next week at uh, at 10 a.m. Next week? No, two weeks. Two weeks at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Happy Jackson.org slash live. Until then, stay safe. When you no problem have, you don't want to make. The preceding program has been a presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Bum, 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 bum.